0: So in case you didn't see it, Marjorie Taylor Greene appeared on 60 Minutes last Sunday night. And in the lead-up, much of social media was slamming CBS and the show for providing a platform to such a hateful figure. And I disagreed strongly. I don't want to just hear from those who share my beliefs. In fact, I want to hear from those I abhor. I want to understand them. I want to challenge them. I want to grasp everything about them. But... Then Leslie Stahl, the legendary journalist who I have tons of respect for. Ah, She sort of fucked it up. Green's craziness went largely unchallenged. Her record as a homophobe, as a racist, as an anti-Semite, as someone who supported the January 6th insurrection. All of that was either ignored or treated with really fluffy kids' gloves. And I get the whole, we need to be cautious approach to this business. I really do. But sometimes, You've got to dangle a sledgehammer from your utility belt. And sometimes, you have to fucking use it. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of 10 books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. And today's guest is James Boyd, the Indianapolis Colts beat writer for The Athletic and the former Pacers beat writer for The Indy Star. This is episode number 305. Let's slings me. In. Dad, your podcast sucks. And nobody cares about your stupid TV show. All right, James. First of all, uh, thank you for doing this. And I have to say, um, I'm pretty happy right now because usually I'm the poor schlub in the worst <laughs> place you could be, which is my closet. I'm sitting in my closet. I'm surrounded by clothes and goodwill stuff. It's really a bad scene for me, but you're sitting in your your parents' house, correct?
1: Yep. Back home, visiting family in my childhood room. I have the shoebox on top of the mic set up with, on top of a sort of random table I could find in our house.
0: So we're making it work. Making it work. Very happy about this. Wait, so you know what? I, I was actually thinking the other day that I, there is a good article to be written about what posters athletes had on their walls as kids. But um, what posters did you have on your wall as a kid? Yeah, you know what's funny?
1: Um, I should turn the camera, but I have an Allen Iverson poster still to this day on my door. So it's probably been up there. 27 now, it's probably been up there for close to 20 years at this point. Wow. Never took it down, never got old, never got tired of it. And honestly, I feel like I don't even see it because it's just a part of our house now. It's like if someone else points it out there over our house, I'm like, oh yeah, that is there. It's kind of just like a muscle memory thing now.
0: Sure. Huh. Actually. I've never asked a fellow writer this, but I'm gonna ask you this. Usually when we talk to fellow writers, we talk about, um, well, who are your writers you admired growing up? And someone will say blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like for many of us, the reason we got into this and what inspired us wasn't necessarily other writers, but the athletes themselves. And I wonder for you, sitting here now, 27 years old, a writer for The Athletic covering the Colts, are you doing this because of other writers or are you doing this because of athletes?
1: I would say it's definitely because of athletes. Um, no one in my family is a writer. Um, you know, they speak well, write well, but they're not professional writers. Um, it's kind of my own lane, so to speak. And I think Alan Iverson, um, when I got older, Derek Rose, you know, Brandon Roy, those guys I loved and I looked up to. And obviously I wasn't delusional when I got older. It was more so, Hey, you're not good enough to keep playing. So how do you stay around the game?
0: I feel like you slipped in a Brandon Roy reference there, which I didn't. I was- wasn't really expecting Yeah, no. I, I
1: love Brandon Roy. Yeah, that's my guy, man. I had his sneakers growing up. Um, him and Darren Williams had some sneakers. Uh, it wasn't like their own custom. It was like some player edition types from Nike. And I had them and I wore those suckers out um, playing basketball in the concrete outdoor every day. So, yeah, he's one of my favorite players of all time, honestly. And will and yell at me, looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, it's my top five, like starting five favorite players. Like, he's at my two guard for sure.
0: All right, give me your other four.
1: Point, I probably got to go Iverson. Small forward, LeBron, power forward, KG, because he's nuts. And then uh, Shaq, because that's that's probably the, the last dominant big man that I've seen out, outside of, you know, the modern guys right now, Jokic and, and MB, But those are probably my, my, my five.
0: All right. Well, I want to start. You wrote a piece last November. It's about your dad and visiting Las Vegas. The headline is, Call to Legion Stadium Visit Offers Chance to Honor, Vow to My Dad. And your lead was, I'm writing this on a Saturday in the Notes app on my phone while on a flight to Dallas. <laughs> The next one will be to Las Vegas, thousands of miles away from Indianapolis and thousands of feet in the air. Right now, I'm reflecting on August 15th, 2021, and the phrase, the sky's the limit. Is it really? My father never told me that. And these days, it feels like I'm testing the sky's limit often, especially considering where I come from, or better yet, where we come from. When you read this, it'll likely be Sunday morning, hours before intern coach Jeff Saturday makes his debut against the Raiders, and hours before I visit Allegiant Stadium for the second time. Although it's my first season as an NFL reporter, and I've never attended an NFL game as a fan, I've been to a Legion Stadium once before. It was on August 16th, 2021, and one of the best days of my life. Months earlier, I didn't plan on traveling across the country, and I hadn't been on a plane since I was a kid. But after winning a first-place Associated Press Sports Editor Award for a series I did as a high school sports reporter at the Times of Northwest Indiana, I found out the acceptance ceremony would be held in Las Vegas, home of the Raiders, my dad's favorite football team. My dad isn't from Oakland or Las Vegas, the franchise's former current cities. He's from Chicago, but developed a deep love for the laid out Davis and his franchise while watching them on TV. Marcus Allen, Howie Long, and Jim Plunkett, who won Super Bowl together, were some of his favorites, and he's stuck by them through thick and thin. This level of dedication and loyalty also speaks to his character as a man and the way he supported his wife, his daughter, and his son. My dad has given everything, every day, constantly scratching and clawing for a better life, the life he never had. One of the most painfully beautiful things about becoming an adult is I've started to see the toll that burden has taken on my father, who grew up in an inner city Chicago and never went to college, yet rose above an environment that often shows you several wrong paths before the right one. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece about your dad and taking your dad to Las Vegas. You know, there's this thing in journalism where it's like you're ah, you shouldn't write about yourself. You're not <laughs> part of the story. You know, we all hear that in journalism, whatever along the way. What made you write that?
1: It's funny. You, I said the same thing to my editor, and I was like, "Hey, trust me on this. I promise, I will never make myself center retention." It was more so to spotlight him, but I just felt like I wanted to break that fourth wall. I think as journalists, we're kind of trained to never think too much of ourselves in the moment. You want to obviously document what you see, but I was like, I had like this moment where I was thinking, "Man, like this is really cool." Anyone, you know, any human, I feel like even not even the, if they're not a sports fan. Will think that this is really cool. And so um got the green light to do it. And I felt like if you just write it from your heart, it'll relate to a lot of people. And I felt like that was the only story I've written so far for the athletic, especially now with all the quarterback talk. Um, they got a bunch of positive reactions. So that was a good feeling. Um, and honestly, to share with my dad and kind of validate that moment for us, because I told him, like, hey, whoop, I'm gonna be back here one day working, and to get back there in, you know, a little over a year not knowing at the time what any, you know, of my career would look like. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Got the photo, sent it back to him. And uh, he was pretty excited about that. So yeah, that was one where, again, I don't ever want to give myself the story, but I felt like this is a unique opportunity to kind of break that fourth wall, bring someone else in and just have a feel good moment, especially throughout the season that wasn't going that well, you know, it was kind of crazy. So it was like, all right, this is a, a deep breath for everybody. And I kind of look forward to writing that all season and, I kind of got that that itch to do it and i was like you know what if you're gonna do it i'll do it on the plane
0: (laughs) what um did you tell your dad you were gonna write it or did you just show it to him once it was written and what was his reaction
1: yeah so i kind of gave him some hints and clues you know because i asked a few questions just to get my facts right um but i don't think he knew i've written about him before but nah obviously in a national outlet like that and when i was able to share it with him he was pretty excited about it just because Again, we very we very rarely, as average human beings, I would say, um, get a chance to celebrate our heroes publicly. And so to do that was really cool. And um, uh, he was so happy to see his face, you know, um, on, on the top of the story and stuff like that, and hear me read it back to him over the phone and and just hear the positive reactions for because I think that um he deserves his flowers long as like my mom and everyone else in my family who sacrificed a lot. But him in particular, like being the sports guy, taking him there, having that experience, I was really cool and Um, again, I think that kind of just adds to the memory a little bit where it's like, man, that was really one of the best days of my life going to tour stadium with him for sure.
0: There's an interesting sentence here. I love parsing language on this podcast and sort of ideas and writers. You wrote, um, to my dad's credit, he's been alcohol free, drug free and jail free for all 62 years of his life. What made you write that?
1: Because of the environment he grew up in. Um, he didn't have it easy. And again, as you get older, your parents will reveal more stuff to you. And he was the kid who was laughed at for not drinking, for not smoking, for not skipping school, for not getting in trouble and things like that. Even though he wasn't a great student, he was told that he wasn't going to amount to much by people around him. You know, pretty much every day, outside of my grandmother and a few others in his life who told him he could be something. Most of the time, it was a bunch of people telling him because of the circumstances he's in, You're going to be just like those people you see around you, you know, the guys who never go anywhere, do anything. And so that was um, a nod to him for setting a great example for me and staying true to himself. Because there's one thing about my dad, like right or wrong, he's himself black, white, up, down, like there's no gray. So um, that was a cool experience, again, to just kind of document um, what he's meant to me and the path he took to to get here, because I know it wasn't easy. And we talk about it all the time, but just kind of visualizing it from his eyes and having him kind of detail it sometimes. It's like, wow, like you really could have been in jail or been on the street or been doing anything besides being my father, being a great husband. So I um, had to give him his props for that.
0: I like you wrote uh, when he turned 21, he he did just that joining the workforce full time and spending decades loading and unloading 18 wheelers until the life I had as a youngster looked nothing like his. I mean, I just got to think he sees you writing and traveling and covering sports and living your own dream. And he must it must be for him the fruition of a of a of a life dream.
1: Oh, absolutely. I have a twin sister. And when we graduated college, it was like the best thing ever. You you know, it was one of those things where that's for him. And I always knew I was gonna graduate college because I was preaching our household, but obviously when you graduate, you don't expect to end up working in the NBA or the NFL this soon. I mean, obviously it was a goal of mine. But I didn't think it was going to happen as quickly as it did, and so I think the first time I saw him really like show that pride because he's always been proud of me and he's told me numerous times. But to see it like emotionally was when I got the Pacers gig last year to cover them for Andy Star. And then obviously moved on to the Colts. But when I got the Pacers job and and I cut to tell my dad and my family, hey, and I was in this house. You know, I, I wait. I knew I, I knew I got the job. Waited till I got home um to tell them and uh i was like hey man he was like taking a nap or something i woke him up to come downstairs with my mom my sister and and my and they were down there as well and uh i was like hey man i got something in the car he's like all mad he has to get about the bed he's coming downstairs i was like i got the job because he knew how to apply for it and they thought it was a long shot i thought it was a long shot too and jeff this man just cried and like ran around our house crying like my son made us his mba like something out of a movie and the uh, whole house was crying. My mom's crying. My sister's crying. Everybody's, you know, hyping me up. And sister's telling me, you're the man. And mom is like, can't pick her jaw off the floor. And dad is just like literally running and crying. you could just see kind of like this release, like my son made it. Um, and so that's kind of what pushes me every day. Um, I don't like outwardly say it all the time, but we have like long road trips or overtime games or tight deadlines or, you know, days where I might have to stay in my apartment and write all day it's easy because you see the sacrifice that was put before you every
0: day. I just want to say I have about two decades on you. And, um, last year my book became the show winning time on HBO and my mom is not a sports fan at all. And she was at my house and I showed her the first episode and she started crying. And like that thing that you felt, it doesn't change. And it's also, it's something we don't speak about enough or uh, that much but I really feel like we're always trying to get our parents to be proud of us. And we always Mm -hmm. want to see that no matter what age you are. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, that was my motivation for a lot of things in life just to make sure I'm doing what they gave me the opportunity to do. Like I tell people all the time, I don't have a sob story. I had a very good life, suburban life. Um, you know, never wanted for anything. And so there was no reason for me to fail. So when I do succeed or I push the limits, is to show my parents like, hey, I know, I remember like everything you taught me, everything you sacrificed was worth it. I'm not perfect. I made mistakes, but I've always had a really big picture view of like, okay, they took it this far. How far can I take it for my kids one day? And then they can look back and say, oh, you know, whatever dad had, isn't that great. <laughs> and so that's kind of the goal. But yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to make them proud. And they tell me all the time I am making them proud. But, you know, I guess that's like a,
0: a carrot you chase you nonstop. Your dad called me and he said, just get him on Two Riders and Yang. (laughs) (laughs) Even Uh, now, like they're like, man, like you got a
1: podcast to do and it's 10 p.m. here. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, when I play it back for him, they'll probably appreciate a little bit
0: more. (laughs) ah, Nice. Um, All right. So there's a lot to talk about here, but um, I am fascinated that you start on the Colts beat last year. And, you know, the Colts, Midwestern team, generally not that exciting in NFL talk. Like you don't always think about the Colts. And then they just have the batch shiddiest season ever, right? And I have a piece in front of me uh, from last year from The Athletic, November 8th, 2022, your byline. Jim Ursay's reasoning for giving Jeff Saturday Colts intern job falls short. And your lead is, Colts owner Jim Ursay tried to get out in front of it. He knew there would be chatter. No, actually backlash over hiring former player Jeff Saturday as his team's intern head coach. Yes, he's fully experienced enough. Ursay said in his opening statement during a news conference at the team's practice facility Monday night, Yes, he's fully capable. And then you wrote, This is the part where I remind you that Ursay isn't joking. And you go on with the story. <laughs> All right. I love that line. It's actually, way. I hope this doesn't come off condescending. Like, you do things that I consider like way beyond your years, that like a lot of writers I know we're not doing at 27. And one of them is being a really good narrator and sort of saying stuff. Without being overly intrusive in a story, you do that ins- insanely well, and I wonder, like, you're writing this story. What makes you feel confident, okay enough in your own voice, which I love? I just want to say, saying this is a part where I remind you or say isn't joking.
1: Because again, I felt like this has to be what everyone is thinking. Like, whenever I'm writing something, uh, especially that piece, I knew a million stories are going to be written about it. But I was like, how can I make mine unique? And how can I just b- keep it real? Cause I was like, this is kind of unprecedented. I was like, I'm gonna just going to say what I'm thinking. Cause I couldn't believe that he wasn't joking that he, you know, he meant this and he was sincere about it. And so I felt like if I could just say it kind of tongue in cheek, um, maybe my editor would take it out. Luckily he didn't. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'll just swing for the fences and drive it home. Because honestly I was slightly like, annoyed that he wasn't more like serious about the whole thing. I was like, what? Like, this is like, no, this isn't a thing where he's, you know, he had fans saying, Oh, he's hiring Jeff Saturday because they want to tank and they want to lose. It's like, no, Jim Irsay would never do that. He loves the team. He's a traditional guy. He wants to win. He would never, ever, ever tank. He legitimately thought that was going to be a successful move. And it's like the entire world saw that it wasn't going to be that. And so, um, yeah, I figured I would just throw that in there. And honestly, that night, Jeff, The comments I got were like killing me. Like, oh, this guy's not from Indiana. He doesn't care about the team. Well, you know how it is when fans want you to be a fan of the team. But then obviously, you know, by season's end, it was like, yeah, this didn't go well because not because I was rooting against Jeff Saturday or anything. It's just because he was in over his head. Like it it was, it was crazy. But yeah, that was, that was one of those ones where honestly, I'm not even supposed to be a columnist most of the time, but I just asked my editor, I was like, Hey, can I just say, my piece, please. Cause I felt like the whole thing was bizarre. No, nothing against Jeff Saturday, but no one could tell me that he actually deserved to have that job.
0: Do you feel like your job is to be a beat writer slash columnist? Like how do you actually view your job?
1: Yeah, I think it is 95% probably being a beat writer, but I do think, and I enjoy this period since I've started writing. I like writing columns when I feel like I have something really real to say. I think it's a difficult job in general when you're just a, a columnist, you have to have a take on everything. And I applaud the people who do it and do it very well. Um, Bob Kravitz, our guy does it. And I'm like, man, like it must be really hard to have opinions after every single game, you know, the past season, obviously you could have a lot of opinions about a lot of games cause it was crazy. But in general, that's not my style, but I feel like if there's something serious, usually on the more serious side to say, um, that's when I'll use like the column type of writing or the column voice, um, to kind of get my point across. So, um, that was a fun one. I was serious about it. I'm still serious about it. I usually swing for the fences. That's kind of how I learned to write is like try anything. And if they tell you, Hey, like you're, you're overstepping your boundary. You're trying too much. That's cool. I'd rather be the person that like tried the crazy thing than to like be too timid to like write something that mattered in my opinion.
0: Now, back in the day and really not very long ago. There's a very strict division at newspapers. You'd have the columnist, so New York Daily News as an example, Bill Madden would be covering the New York Yankees, and when there was a column to write about him, Mike Lupa can come in and he'll be like, this sucks and this is great and blah, blah, blah. And that way, the B writer, when the Yankee manager gets mad at him, can say, look, it's not me, it's it's him. I don't write opinions about it. Is there any concern, or should there be any concern, and I don't have an answer for this, I'm actually interested in what you think, about, all right, you're covering the Colts. You're supposed to be a somewhat unbiased observer. Then they make this really stupid coaching hire. You come out and say, this is a, you know, to some degree, this is a really stupid coaching hire. The Colts can then say, well, you're look at this guy. He's biased against us, or he has these opinions. That's not really a proper way to cover a team.
1: The way I've always looked at it is, can I back this up with legitimate facts or some sort of evidence to help my case? Um, I don't usually like reading things or writing things where I'm just saying a bunch of stuff and there's nothing substantial behind it. Um, I said what I said about Jeff Saturday, the hiring and other columns I had throughout the season based off of, you know, I might say my opinion in one paragraph and then have two or three to back up whatever I'm saying. And you might not agree, but I think that it's unfair to just share opinions and not actually have some substance behind it. And I think that when you do it that way, and usually if you keep a relatively respectful tone, I think that sometimes it's harder to read that when you're writing columns, but for the most part, I think that players coaches and execs and whoever I talk to respect that I won, have an opinion because we all do and I'm willing to lay it out there concretely rather than just like fire off a tweet, like all oh, this game's terrible or something like that. Like I'd rather, you know, talk to you, get your perspective on it. If I disagree, I'm going to say it and again, do it in a respectful manner. Now, It hasn't always gone over as well as I've liked, you know, but I think also it comes down to showing up and showing your face every day. It's easy to write a column, you know, it's condescending or mean or critical. Um, And I would consider myself to be more on the critical side rather than like mean or something like that. But if I'm critical and I show up again the next day and allow you to voice your opinion, whether it's firing back at me or, or, you know, if I ask for a one-on-one and you, you say, Hey, I didn't like what you were, that's totally fine because I promise all those guys as long as i'm you know in good health i'll be there every day to answer for what i've written just like i would expect you to be there for what you've done as a coach as a player as an exec
0: you mentioned that there are sort of people in your comments who are like hey there this guy isn't even from here he's an outsider or whatever <laughs> blah, blah blah and it's true you're not from there and it's also true you're new on this beat mm-hmm. does being new on a beat and coming in sort of fresh to a scene make you have to consider twice how harsh a take you're going to have on something and sort of ask yourself, do I fully understand the context of this all?
1: Absolutely. And honestly, this is where I rely a lot on the guys around me. And I have to give the Colts beat a lot of credit because even guys who aren't my co-workers, like Zach Kiefer's my co-worker, Bob Kravitz. Those are my guys. We share information together, sources, things like that. Like we're working together as a team. But then you got Steven Holder at ESPN, Joel Erickson and. Nate Atkins Indy star Mike Chap who's been covering the Colts since they moved to, to Indianapolis in 1984. He's been there literally it's going to be his 40th season coming up covering the team. And none of these guys have ego. So if I have a question about, hey, has this happened before or do you have any historical reference point for this or you know, when's the last time this happened or something like that, they're all really helpful. I'm um, not going to like spoon feed me, but they're going to help me so I'm not just completely misguided. Like honestly, true story, Jeff. When Jeff Saturday got hired, and then me being more so of an NBA basketball guy all of my life, like I watched football more casually before I got on the beat, I texted, you know, our groove chat and I was like, Hey, like, is this as weird as I think it is? Or is this like an NFL thing or something? And I'm like, oh no, like you're right. Like this is pretty crazy. And so having that validation usually helps me out. And I've had some missteps here and there. I'm not perfect. Um, you know, there'll be Players I might not know of from you know 1972 because I didn't grow up in Indiana and my parents aren't Colts fans and stuff like that. But for the most part, I feel like I do my research as best as I can. I learn as much as I can. I ask for help whenever I need it. And also sometimes the comments are just right. So if they are critical and they're right. I'll respond and say, hey, what, you know what, you are right. Like, I'll keep that in mind going forward. Or, hey, you know, thanks for giving me that tip. I'll get this corrected or edited right now. Um, It's never like changing the story. It might be like, hey, you forgot a player from this Pro Bowl team or something like that. Then, yes, thank you for, you know, mentioning that. But, you know, for the most part, I think that you help yourself out a lot, which is what I tell journalists who always ask me, how do we get to the NFL or NBA or whatever? Like, do your research because it goes a long, long way. To your credibility and your ability to be critical of something, even if you didn't grow up, you know, in that state or that area, like who cares? You know how it is on like in journalism, you're going to move around a lot. So it's very rare you're going to be in an area you grew up in and you can call it like your hometown covering a team.
0: When you say you're in a group chat, are you actually in a group chat with the other call writers?
1: Yeah, we have one of those two. But honestly, I have all their numbers. So if I, I have a question. I remember I'm going out to my first senior bowl. And I was so confused about what I was supposed to do. Like I was given pretty much, you know, some pretty good directions. Like, hey, go down there, see some guys from the Colts who they might target or something like that. And I'm like, all right, but I don't even know where to go. I don't know what, how the setup is. And it's all new to me. And I remember uh, posting something on Twitter about being in Alabama and Steven Holder from ESPN, not my coworker. He just texted me like, hey, I've been there like eight or nine times, man. If you got any questions, here's where you go to eat you know, here's where you go. Here's how it's going to be. Most likely it might've changed a little bit, but this is what you got to do to succeed. And I think that that helps me a lot. And it's why I don't take it for granted. Like, again, it's competition. We want to all be better than the next guy, but I feel like they really want it to be earnest competition rather than like me not having access or like a reference point to to build off of.
0: It's so crazy because I am from New York. And oh, no, it's not like that. It can't be like oh. that. <laughs> now, to be clear, I um. Well, I'll tell you this. Like, I, I started Sports Illustrated at a pretty young age. And my, my first book I wrote, I was working on a while I was at SI and it was about the 1986 New York Mets. And I remember I was sitting at Mets Spring training one day and I heard all the New York beat writers talking about me and how who is this guy to be writing this book? And none of them would have helped me at all. And those guys were all cutthroat with each other, too. Is there a line? Of buddyship that you can't cross with the other guys on the Colts beat, or is that an antiquated thing, and now you can guys can just be cool with each other, and it's no big deal,
1: yeah, I think there is um still a line there, um you're never gonna share sources of where you got something from if you get a nice scoop, you're not gonna like tell the other guys he has a heads up, like I want to beat you, um, but I think again, when it comes to just like rudimentary stuff, like I'm not gonna be the person that tells doesn't like send you the zoom link for you know a prospect they're looking at or i'm gonna be the person that tells you not how to get to the press box or the visiting say you know stuff like that they're very helpful um i think that we have that professional line where it's like i'm not gonna do your job for you you gotta get your own scoops your own stories and sometimes you gotta get your own interviews and things like that but again when it comes to just like general doing the job stuff they're all pretty helpful and i think that also reflects the cult's pr staff as well like one of the things I appreciate about them is they make things pretty easy on you. Like if you want to tell a story, you can pretty much get any guy outside of like, you know, might be the starting quarterback, can ask for a sit down with a quarterback every single week. But, you know, if you do your due diligence, if you show that you care, if you show up every day, they'll honor like most of your requests and, and your inquiries to get guys on the record, off the record and things like that.
0: Before we continue with Two Riders and Yang, quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. And I'm here with my little adorable niece Amelia, who's all about the snazzy throwback gear available at RoyalRetchers.com. Uncle
1: Jeffy.
0: So Amelia, would you say you're more of a New Jersey General's hat person, or a San Francisco Demons hoodie gal? Daddy, Daddy. Amelia, are you gonna go with the Seattle Pilots jacket or the Southern California Sun Mini helmet? Mo!
1: No.
0: <sighs> Amelia, seriously, it's me, Uncle Jeffy. Fun Uncle Jeffy. Can you just help a guy out with his only sponsor? I love you, girl, but you're fired. What was the moment last season besides Jeff Saturday being hired where you were like, this shit's just gone crazy?
1: Man, Minnesota, when they blew the biggest lead in NFL history. Because me and Zach were sitting next to each other. And we, again, we had had this crazy season. So it was like, all right, like, we're going finally going to get a game that's easy for us, right? They're blowing them out. They're up 33 nothing. Easy story. You're going to be in and out, locker room. Everyone's going to be happy. Your story's going to be done. You're going to be out of the stadium in you know, way less time. And then they started coming back. And I was thinking to myself, if it's going to happen, it's going to be this season with this team. And I want to say after they got to maybe like 36 to 17 or something like that or 24 that's when I was like, all right, it's real. Like they're going to blow this thing. And that was the loudest place I've ever been covering anything because of the open air press box in Minnesota. Like you're, you feel like you're right there with the fans. So they're screaming and going nuts and everyone wants to be a part of history. And that's when you appreciate having the do not disturb on your phone because I got so many texts from friends and family who were telling me like, I'm only watching this game because you're there. <laughs> and So that was uh that was crazy, man. And then honestly, the fans and I guess More so, the national media, if you don't have to go to the locker room, you can just talk about all this crazy game, this whole story story. But, like, when you're on that losing side and you got to go talk to those players who are absolutely crushed, that is, man, that's a difficult thing to do. You got players who are like crying or, you know, because they blew the game or they messed up or they're so dejected. That was probably the most somber locker room I've been in ever just because it was so embarrassing. And even, you know, you had guys tell you, it's just one game, but I think I wrote it that day, like it's not. It's really not. Like you're gonna remember that game. I don't care what any guy says in the locker room. You're gonna remember where you were when you blew the biggest league in NFL history. I mean, some of them didn't even know until we told them. And so to see the reaction on their face after that was like, oh my gosh, like that's that's horrible. And so that was learning experience for me. And even transitioning from basketball to football, NBA to NFL, the guys put so much into one game. And you know, like so when they fail. The weight of it is always hard every week, but then that week it was like, "Wow, this like this is the lowest of the low."
0: Do you do the old like it's after the game and you need to talk to some guy and you're just like, "Hey Barry, can I can I just bother you for a minute?"
1: Yeah, I definitely had to do it, man. And, and honestly, you know, just little tricks of the trade, you know, and, and no respect to my TV partners and counterparts and stuff like that, but. I'll, you know, if it's a guy who is really, really dejected or or really, really hurt, um, I'll tell him, like, hey, like, face your locker. You know, camera's not going to come over here. If you're facing your locker, we'll we'll do this in 30 seconds, a minute, and I'll be out of your hair. Like, I'll get what I need to get. And, again, I think that the players appreciate that because you're not trying to embarrass them or one-up them or, you know, get some good sound by what you are to a certain extent. But I'm not trying to, like, clickbait you, so to speak. And then also what I've learned is, like, when you talk to guys – as much as you can on the good days, when the hard days come, they'll respect you more and talk to you because you're not just coming around and talking to them after this big loss. Like I've talked to them on a random Tuesday for no reason. And again, it's easier to swallow it and have some, you know, I guess some respect level there to ask that hard question. Like, Hey, you dropped that pick or Hey, you fumbled there. And that led to this crazy collapse. And so that was uh, (laughs) a. That was quite a locker room. I'll never forget that one. That was, yeah, that was one of many crazy things for sure.
0: When I was, uh, when I was in your shoes and I was covering baseball, um, I didn't view other writers as the enemy. I actually viewed if anyone I viewed as the enemy, it was local TV and you'd be interviewing some guy and he'd be like, yeah, you know, the moment my, my dad died of cancer, the first thing he said to me and all of a sudden some TV reporter shoves a mic in and Follows up with, can you talk about what the keys are to this coming's game against Tim?
1: Oh my gosh. Same. Yes, absolutely, man. It is, it's rough sometimes. And I've learned to pick my spots better because sometimes I'll just wait scrums out or Fridays are usually pretty light. No one's really in there. I'll do like more of, some of my deep dive interviews on those days to get my one on ones. But you're not lying. Like it is definitely, it just breaks. It's like, I don't know if it's like breaking the rhythm in a song. Like you're, doing something, you're going, you're going, you're going. And then you have somebody asking you like how big the game is for this upcoming week. And I'm like, it's always big. It's the NFL. Like their jobs are on the line. Is it a must-win game? Yes. game is a must-win game. Like, so that's another thing I've learned as well is to ask questions. You genuinely don't know the answer to not just stuff you need to like fill your story.
0: I'm working on this book about Tupac and I interviewed someone who, uh, was talked about Tupac a million times. And he goes to me, no one's ever asked me that question before. And I consider that one of the best compliments I've ever had as a journalist is someone actually saying, no one's ever asked me that before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think another one is usually when they say like something along the lines of, how do you know that? Oh, How'd yeah. You know that? And it's like, yeah, because I, you know, I've researched and I've read and usually I usually try to go back. And one of the tricks I always tell some of the college guys that I talk to And Jeff, I get paid a lot for (laughs) college classes because I'm still pretty young. So it's like, hey, here's this guy, your age, who isn't that far removed, who can relate to you. And I'll tell them like for pros or even the college athletes, they're probably covering. There's somebody in their local town who's probably written about them because they were a star at some point. If you go back and read that stuff, sometimes you can find some gems or a one line here, one line there that'll open you up to a bigger story or something else to kind of dig at or or or, turn, or stone to turn over. So uh, that's always a compliment as well as when they kind of look at you sideways, like, who'd you get that from? Well, how'd you know that? And I'm like, hey, well, let's talk about it. And usually that leads to more things that I just don't know.
0: The other day I interviewed the actor Wood Harris. He plays, um, yeah, remember the Titans, a bunch of movies. And yes, uh, he, was in a, he was in Above the Rim with Tupac. And he said to me, he said, uh, yeah, you know, I used to be in a hip hop group. And I named the hip hop group. I was like, oh yeah, it was so-and-so in Chicago. He goes, I swear to God, he goes, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. How do you know that? And I go, I do my research, man. And he goes, man, huge respect. That's how you win an interview. Cause then they're just like thrilled to talk to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's always the goal, right? Is to get them to be as comfortable as possible. As transparent as possible, but I think that you can't get that without showing the effort. And I think that that goes a long way. And I've learned that really coming up through high school sports. And I covered high school sports for almost three years. I think that was great. I did it in Northwest Indiana, the region 219. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to dig into how to ask questions, what questions to ask, because you're not getting someone else who might be there, who might upload the video later you're not going to get a transcript um most of the time you might not even get like accurate stats unless you're keeping them yourself like things like that is what really forced me to become better um at the quote unquote simple stuff that way now at the level I'm at now it's almost like second nature to ask questions i think that are are solid or my go-tos and to help me build out a story or at least build out some frame of you know relationship before we get to the deep stuff that'll allow me to tell some stories that are unique
0: all right, let me ask you this. I have a story in front of me. Uh, March 7th, 2016. Illinois Men's Gymnastics sets score record at Air Force <laughs> Academy. James <laughs> staff writer, the Daily Alignment, okay? Oh, man. Yeah, and your lead is Illinois Men's Gymnastics head coach, Justin Spring, has repeated, quote, you do not rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training to his team all season long. And on Saturday, his squad rose, right? And it's like a totally fine Mediocre college journalism story, right? It's fine. Yep, your, your yep. Story. And like your clips, like my clips in college are all like, you know, some are better, some are worse, but they're within the realm of college writing. Mm-hmm. You've covered preps, you cover the pacers, you know, cover the coach. When do you feel like was the moment when you started kind of going, aha, I actually get, I can do this with words and I can do this and I don't just have to be quote, graph, quote, graph. I can mix things up. Like, when did you start picking that up?
1: Yeah, I would say it came probably after I got my AP internship in college. I was a stringer for the, the AP, based in Champaign. Um, oh, yeah. So I got a chance to, you know, get a little money while I was in college, um, stringing for them, you know, covering Big Ten basketball, Big Ten football. But again, you go from being the student reporter at your local paper. And I mean, you're feeling yourself because it's like, hey, I got my story in this section or i'm on the front page of the student newspaper and it's a great feeling like i take all that stuff seriously like Mm -hmm. i still have stuff framed um you know shout out to my parents for doing that for me but i had never got humbled like i did when i was covering ap because my editor i had at the time he ripped everything i wrote um he wasn't always the nicest guy he knew his stuff though and so after going through that experience i was like i gotta learn What AP style is. I gotta learn how to write clean. I gotta learn how to write quick. And then once I learned that, that's when I was able to kind of take a deep breath and try different things and lean into my voice more. And I give Shannon Ryan a lot of bunch of credit for that because she was at the Chicago Tribune at the time. She's now at the athletic. She was the one who told me, um, after I got ripped one day, and I was thinking about quitting this, Jeff, for real. I was like, I'm not about to be miserable. Wasting my Saturdays writing for AP. I don't care how much money it is. I'm not doing this unless I'm going to be be told that I'm not able to do this or not capable. And she pulled me to the side and told me, James, like the story idea you had, I'm going to use it in the Chicago Tribune today. But here's how you flesh it out. Here's how you build it out. Here's what you need to do. And so after I learned the basics, got that voter confidence from her, um, I think after doing a couple more stories, and then by the time I graduated, I felt like, okay, I can have a career in this and all I need is one shot. So I applied to a bunch of places and the one job that, you know, I, I got was the one at the times I didn't have a bunch of offers. It wasn't like I had all these different places I could go to. I was just thinking if I get one shot, I'm going to show them I can do this.
0: You've kind of referenced a bunch of times. You're a basketball guy. You get the Pacers job at the Indianapolis star. So you're, you're covering the NBA for a major newspaper in a big city and uh nine months, yeah, I mean, that was one of those
1: things where again, you you don't see it coming, right? You get that job, and and my goal was to crush that job. And I felt like when I got to maybe the tail end of the season, summer league, i was I was in pretty good. I was breaking stories, little stuff here and there. I was getting scoops. I was reporting beyond just like writing what I felt like were solid stories. And then you get an opportunity to stay in the same city, don't have to move anywhere and cover the beast, cover the king, you know, of American sports, which is the NFL. And so when I left and I couldn't exactly say where I was going just yet, um, I got so many messages from friends and family. I said to my immediate family who knew where I was going and, you know, what was next who were so concerned because they knew I loved that job and I loved being in the NBA. I loved traveling. I loved, you know, being able to see the legends up close and things like that. Like I said, I said, Joe Dumars at a summer league game. And I was telling him, my dad, you know, told me your era was better than mine. And we we're joking about that. Like those are things that I dreamed of. And so when I let it go, I had to tell a bunch of friends of him. I was like, Hey, like, it's not, you know, I promise it'll all make sense. And so um, it was one of those things where I knew any star is great. They treated me great, treated me well. I still love them to this day, read all their stuff. Um, but I was like, this is a national outlet. You know what I mean? It's backed by the New York Times. It it comes with a lot more eyeballs with the NFL. So it wasn't more of a career decision rather than like what I like because I will always love basketball more than any other sport because that's just what I grew up on. That's, that's me. And I've honestly enjoyed learning how complex football is. I think it is a little bit more of a more complex sport and just the nuances of it, and how big the stakes are. And I'm saying they're not big in the NBA, but there's 82 games. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of dog days, especially when I was covering the Pacers and they were more or less tanking. So it was like you're covering a, a 10 game, 12 game losing streak. No one's reading your stuff like that anymore. Like Uls is number one in Indy. That, that's it's not close. And then even in the Indy market, it's unique because it's Colts. Then it's like IU and Purdue high schools. And then the Pacers at, at Indy Star, so it was opportunity for me to just kind of expand my career a little bit. But um, I still miss that job. I still love that job. Like it was, it was a great time. Like I mean, to me, covering anything. I thought when I covered high school sports, I, I had made it. Honestly, I was thinking, I'm getting paid to go to a game. I have to pay to get in. Like that was the pinnacle. So anything after that is like a bonus. So to be here now, um, with a national outlet, you know, behind me. And learning from what I believe are some of the best writers around, I'm not saying that because they're writing for us, it's just like, it's humbling. You get in a room and you're like, dang, like, yeah, I thought I was, you know, top dog here. I am not now. So that's something else I wanted to kind of push myself with. It was like, you know, they have great writers, Andy Starr, but what if you multiply that by like 10 or 12 or 20 by joining, you know, the athletic and pushing yourself even more?
0: You wrote a piece for the star. Uh, It was really great. Uh, April 6th, 2022. Hero's Journey. Kiefer Sykes' remarkable rise from inner city Chicago to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Your lead was Kiefer Sykes scanned the gym at Proviso East High School in Maywood, Illinois, watching his grade school children ran around playing basketball, the game that's taken him around the world but never kept him away from home. The shoes were squeaking, the coaches were yelling, and the kids were smiling. While Sykes soaked in the action, more youngsters filed into the gym, and for nearly all of them, Sykes had a greeting. What's up, Killa? He asked one kid. How's your team doing? He asked another. At one point, a boy asked the Indiana Pacers guard to follow him on Instagram. Sykes, wearing a black hat with purpose written on it in white letters, didn't hesitate before handing the kid his phone and obliging. He dapped the boy up and encouraged him to dream big, which is fitting for Sykes, a 28-year-old NBA rookie. It's a great story and really beautiful and really beautifully written. Um, One complaint you hear about covering the NBA is that access isn't nearly what it used to be, that these guys are much harder to get access to, time with, exposure to. In the old days, you could go in the locker room, and if uh, Shaq were sitting there, you could go up to Shaq and talk to Shaq, and that's changed. So, Kiefer Sykes, you want to do a piece on him. Is it hard to get access? Is it easy? You know what?
1: Being the rookie reporter, and him being the 28-year-old rookie, (laughs) I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to get like a Miles Turner Deep dive right now. He's the best guy on the team at the time. Uh, I'm not going to be able to that
0: is, do a. That is an indictment of the Nana Pacers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, or him and, or Sabonis, you know, who's yeah. a little more buttoned up. It's like, I'm not going to get, the, you know, one on one with them to tell me their whole life story. And honestly, their stories have been written before. And so the thing that gravitated me towards Kiefer was when he signed with the Pacers and got his rookie deal or whatever. I remember asking a question, I believe about like his mom or something. Cause I remember he mentioned his mom and I'm a big mom guy. My mom is my best friend, greatest role model. My dad even knows that. And he, he, so, um, he got really emotional once I'm talking about his mom and his journey. And I was like, there's gotta be more there. And so I just asked him one day, I was like, Hey man, like, you know, and and then in the NBA, you have a lot more informal, um, opportunities to talk like a shoot around while you're waiting to you know warm before a game you can just talk to guys and then him being from the chicago area i knew some of his background already like at certain high school he played at marshall so i know like oh patrick beverly played there as well they've got similar you know kind of tough grit backgrounds and so knowing that Hoops
0: dreams right yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly and so um that kind of opened the door a little bit And then I think him saying that I was genuinely interested in his journey, like all of it, not just the highlights. Um, And I think for that particular lead showing up at his camp, which is, you know, 30 or 40 minutes from where I live back home, I was like, you know what? He's going to go to this camp. Why don't I just follow him there? And part of it was like getting him away from the Pacers. Like when you're not in a team facility and you're there at a camp or somewhere at a store or anywhere, there's no rules. You know, so I was like, I can get as much access as I want. And so I latched on to him. He was very responsive, very helpful, put me in contact with anybody in his life. Um, We talked a long time. I want to say that story probably took me three months, if not more. And because the NBA is so like upbeat. And again, it wasn't a normal season. They had trades and things like that. So I'm trying to like get the day-to-day stuff down. But I was telling my editor like, hey, like I promise you, because he thought it was going to be like a, And I thought too, it was going to be like a 1500 word story or whatever. I'll be done. And every time I asked him a question, it led to something else and something else, something else I didn't know to the point where, um, I remember I had to lock myself into a room in DC before a road game. And I was like, okay, you've done all your reporting and you know how it is. Like the hard part is like, I need to get it all out. So like, I just wrote the entire thing, you know, super rough draft. But I think once I got it out, I was able to go back, edit it, we dwindled it down, cut some stuff out, but it was um a story I can look back on. And my goal usually with the deep dive stories is to if you read this story now or five years from now, 10 years from now, it'll give you that same feeling if you're reading it for the first time, because it's the story about a human, you know, being, you know, real and, and and triumph and failure. And so um, and he's also just a great quote in general. And so uh, I enjoyed that, man. And to this day, I consider him like a, a, a brother, man. He's, he's the only guy. I don't think I've told this publicly. He's the only Pacers jersey ever bought. When I left the beat, I was like, I am gonna. I bought his custom 28 Kiefer Sykes jersey. It's probably me, him, and his family, the only people in the world who has it. And I felt like, you know, that was just one I needed to have, kind of sentimental thing, because I think that without him, I don't know if the other guys on the team, because after I wrote that story, that's when the other guys, I think kind of opened up a little bit more like, Hey, okay. He can actually like, write. He can be trusted to, you know, keep some stuff off the record and keep some stuff on the record. And so that was uh, my window into kind of establishing myself. And I think that after that, I got a lot more in my groove and it was fun, man. Like I was, Oh, it was, it was hard, it was hard to leave. You know, it takes a little while to get in there. Good. And I was, I was, I was having fun and earning my respect and, and, and getting some uh, some good stories out there for sure.
0: I was supposed to say In this story, you wrote, Sykes was the undersized and underprivileged kid who was supposed to be swallowed up by the inner city, broken after his father's death and discouraged by the countless doubters who told him reaching the NBA was a pipe dream. Despite those hurdles, there Sykes was still standing years later and using his day off before his first major NBA road trip to inspire the next generation. Right. And I'm thinking, yeah, motherfucking keep for Sykes. All right. Two months later, <laughs> James Boyd byline. I did everything that I could do. Keeper Sykes reflects on Pacers stint, post indie camp, and you wrote he was cut, he was waived by the Pacers. Um, when you write that story and you talk to Keeper Sykes about getting waived, now you're a B writer, but you obviously felt some affection to this guy. For this guy, I don't know. Can you give the guy a hug? Can you tell him I'm sorry? Can you? Yeah, you know? no, I, I think our
1: relationship is very genuine. Like if I saw him today, uh, I think that you know we would stop and have a conversation just to kind of check in because I think, again, he cared that I felt it was necessary to tell all of his story. And I think for him, it was the realness of it. Um, Cause even in the original story that I did about him, the, the longer one, he has a part at the end where he was like, yeah, I got cut by them before. And I had a camp the next day and I still showed up and told the kids, Hey, I just got cut from the NBA, but I'm going to come back and then I'll tell you guys at the next camp that I made it. And so that's kind of his indomitable spirit. And I felt like that was an opportunity for me to just talk to him, um, keep it real and give him a chance to say his piece. And I think that that carried over so well with our readers and anybody just in general, who's a fan of good humans, because very rarely do you get an athlete who will stand in front of a camera or a mic and say that they failed and do it with a sense of like pride in a sense. Cause he's like, I gave everything that I had. So there's no regrets. It's just, you know, how do I, you know, make it happen from here. And this is a guy who went to Italy and didn't get paid and stayed over there and kept chasing this dream. So to him, he was like, I got my 40 something games in the NBA. I started at the garden. And so, um, again, a lot of it was also just a parallel of me being a rookie, him being a rookie and us going through it together. And I felt like that was something again that I, I won't forget because that was my, the first guy I will always say it at the pro level to give me a shot to tell their story. And because of him, that's probably gotten you know a few more shots more uh, since then.
0: When you, when you tell your bosses you're leaving that job after nine months, are they like, wait, what? What?
1: Oh my gosh, that was a hard. I don't think I get nervous very often. Um, talking to my bosses about anything. I mean, I can have a crazy story idea that I'm like a little like, oh, they might be thinking this is a crazy pitch. What the heck are you thinking? or I'm dragging on the story. Why isn't it in yet? Like, but I had never felt more nervous than when I had to call, um, my former editor at the time, Nat Newell, who was phenomenal. Still a great guy. We still talk, you know, and I still see him at Colts games because he's there for their writers. And so, um, that was tough, man. That was tough. And also it was tough because you're not leaving the city. So like, you're still going to be around the same people. So I was like, man, this is going to be awkward. Is anybody going to be like, he just used us, but no, all of them were really supportive of me. um, happy for me. And again, I felt like, you know, what I tell people all the time is I never know how long I'm going to be doing anything. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, but I try to maximize it. And so I kind of got peace of mind from knowing like for nine months I was all in until the very end. Cause I wrote stuff, you know, and he was kind of joking like, man, you know, you're not really getting paid anymore. But I was like, I got two or three more stories I want to do. And he's like, you don't have to do them all. And I was like, no, I'm going to finish what I started. Like I told you I was going to have these stories. I'm going to finish them. And so I think my last day might have been like a, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. And I didn't even turn up my lap, turn in my laptop and key card on stuff, maybe until like the next Sunday or Monday, yeah. because I wanted to make sure that when I leave it, I left it with the same zeal that I had when I came into the job. And so I made sure that I didn't check out at all. Like I, I finished every story and it was It was a hell of a ride, man. Like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, being able to joke now and say I'm a dual sport athlete is pretty cool too. So
0: yeah, very, very. All right. So, um, I always ask a final question on this podcast and, uh, you're required to answer, which is that way. Not really. But, um, what's the best conflict you've had in your career as a journalist?
1: (laughs) It was actually early in the cult season. I, uh, hopped on a podcast, our podcast, And after they got smacked by the Jacksonville Jaguars, week two, they didn't score. I think it was 24 to nothing. This was after they had the collapse in 2021 in Jacksonville that cost them a playoff berth. And so Shaquille Leonard, the linebacker for the Colts, who's one of the best linebackers in their team history, at least early on in his career, um, he had said at the end of 2021, you know, let that fire burn in your hearts, you know, after this loss. And they go down there again, 2022, my first season, they get smacked. And he was uh, injured at the time, injured for most of the season. And after that game, I get on our podcast and I'm like, I didn't see any fire. Like whatever fire they had, there were a bunch of extinguishers, you know, out there. And I think my lead after that game was, um, there's no need to beat a dead horse. The Jaguars already did that. Oh my God. And so like, it was like top rope, just people's elbow. And so he was obviously mad. He's a guy who reads and hears everything. Um, which is hopefully a story I get to tell soon. He's like fascinating in that sense. Like he likes every negative tweet. He remembers everything. And so he got clipped up, put on Twitter. He saw it. And then the next week, they upset the Chiefs at home. And so I go into the locker room after basically, you know, talking crap the week before, and he's yelling, keep that same energy. This is a big menacing guy. Keep that same energy. Keep that same energy. And he's he's yelling it to everyone in locker room, but you know, it's for you. And so I remember thinking like, man, this is like kind of (laughs) scary. This is kind of intense. And I don't know what I did or why I did it, but I just walked up to him and I stuck my hand out. And I was like, he was like, keep that same energy. And I was like, I always will. And I think that I earned a little bit of respect there. Now he might still think, oh, this guy can kick rocks, but I was thinking I'm not going to back down now. I mean, I was harsh and looking back at it, I probably wouldn't have phrased it like that, or I would have maybe given a little bit more grace. Cause again, I didn't know how like shocked all NFL locker rooms after a loss. It could be by one or 50. They're all like that, like a library where it's quiet. You're all, you know, cause you put so much into the game for a whole week and you fail. And so I didn't know that. And and going forward, I learned from it, but man, that was definitely intense because there was probably like a month stretch we looked at me sideways in every scrum um probably wasn't going to get you know the nice one-on-one interview for a while but um again I think showing up every day still asking questions not being afraid taking whatever crap he gave me um you know giving a little crap back like those things I think showed that I wasn't going to be like intimidated or scared even if I probably was at times, <laughs> you just don't want to show it. You know, if they, you know, see blood or or, or smell blood, they're going to, you know, pounce on it. But that was definitely a, a pretty big conflict just because he's a, you know, he's a big time player on the team, a big leader. So it's like, if you lose him, do I lose the locker room? Like, so there were a couple nights where I was thinking like, man, did I just mess up like my opportunity to, I don't know, be a good NFL reporter my first season in. And yeah, that was definitely something where I had to learn and grow, but boy, I was Oof, I was sweating underneath my armpits. Luckily, they didn't see it. I had a nice shirt on that they couldn't tell, but it was intense, Jeff. <laughs>
0: two, two things on this. Number one, a recurring theme on this podcast is like, it's okay to be afraid in situations like that, but you have to be able to walk through your fear. And that's basically what like people are like, I wasn't afraid. And I'm like, I'm always afraid, but you just got to walk through it. You have no choice, but you have to walk through it. Number two, I, I you know, I'm not a big cults follower, but Shaquille Leonard, 62230. Nickname Maniac.
1: (laughs) Man, and he acts like it. Like, he's he's a 100% dialed in every day. He's the ultimate underdog. He takes everything as a slight. Like, even if it's a compliment, he'll say, like, well, you didn't say that about me last week. And it's like, oh, man, like, this guy sees and reads everything. And so, again, I would love to, you know, come back sometime and tell you, hey, this is the story I did on his psyche. I think there's a lot to be dissected there. But there was probably a 30-second thing where I was thinking, Do I just sit this one out and ignore him like the good little student? Or do I go over there and earn my keep, show my face, you know? And I always think to myself, like, I don't have to fight this guy. So what you got to be afraid of? (laughs) And I said this, like, I don't have to go on the field with him. He's not going to hit me, you know? So at the worst, you might have some choice words said, but no, even then like he never cursed him or nothing like that. It was always just you know, intense. And so, um, I enjoy it though. I mean, I was a guy who, I don't know if you heard at the combine, I asked Anthony Richardson, um, I said, teams view you as a project quarterback. Like, do you, what do you think of the project label? And he hated the question. He had me repeated like four times. Cause I, I, I thought he couldn't hear me at first, but looking back at it, he could totally hear me. I think he just didn't want me to ask it or maybe wanted me to cower out of it. But I asked and, uh, he was mad. He was like, I don't even know what that means. And then someone else asked right after, like, hey, you know, you only started one year at Florida. What are you going to tell teams about your inexperience? And he just pointed to me. Well, that guy called me a project, you know? So I guess I got something to prove. And I was like, dang, like I'm getting called out by the closest potential quarterback already. And so, does that bother you? A little bit, but at the same time, you get over it quick. It's like you gotta have thick skin. You can't criticize athletes and then they get critical of your question. You get all your feelings. So I got over it pretty quick. And then I took pride in the fact that everyone there who was laughing at, you know, my question or laughing at the exchange they used what i was able to bring out of him in their stories i saw the quote everywhere and i probably wanted to be like you know at everyone on twitter and be like you didn't ask that question you shouldn't right. use that because you were you were too busy telling him that he's the next cam or lamar jackson which he could be i'm not saying that i'm not gonna hate on the guy like i hope he becomes all he can be but at the same time i was like am i gonna be the only one here who addresses the elephant in the room or ask the question that I don't know, needs to be asked. And so that was intense, man. That was another one where I was like,
0: man, this dude is big. <laughs> you know, what's funny is number one, you you obviously asked the right question. That's a totally fair question to ask. And it's funny what happens in this job as you get older, like you're 27, right? hmm Okay. So 27, he's probably 21. Yeah. It's a difference, but not you. When you get into your 30s and some college kid gets snarky with you, you get, you start <laughs> getting very grandpa-y and <laughs> instead of getting like, whoa, you're like, Really? I'm like old enough to be your dad. I'm not (laughs) like changes. Everything changes. So one day you can be old cranky grandpa, just like me,
1: man. Well, hopefully I can get there one day, man. It's been a pleasure to be on here. And like I said, I mean, I have a lot of respect for what you do. Um, When I was telling my friends, it's like, Hey, like this dude just shouted out my story. Like, do you know who he is? Like what he's written and things like that. And they were pretty excited for me. So Um, yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride. And I'll tell anybody out there, like it's all possible. Like, I mean, three years ago two years ago i was doing high school sports and it came you know kind of quick but i felt like ever along the way i've honored every opportunity i've had like i've never had a job where i was looking for the next one like right away like how do i get out of here i'm only I'm only doing this for so long like i wanted to be the best wherever i'm at and um hopefully you know in due time i can say that
0: about the cold speed and i just want to say to wrap this that um i'm glad to hear you say all this because i feel like a lot of times people my age who've been doing this a while. Tell younger writers, oh, the business, it sucks, blah, 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 blah. And like, it's not the same. There's no doubt. It is not the same. The dream used to be for a million writers to write for Sports Illustrated. There's no one who dreams to writing for sports. It's like changed. But you get to cover fucking the NFL for your career. Like you were covering the NBA for your career. I'm writing a book about Tupac for my career. My college roommates are practicing law and, and shuffling papers. Like, I, I know you agree that it's still the best freaking job in the world. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, It's a dream come true every day. And I think that's why, and I encourage all writers to do this, young, old, whatever, take the picture, you know, doesn't have to be with your credential on. You don't have to do it. You know, you don't have to make a bunch of selfies or even now, Jeff, like I've done TikToks where like, I'll just like have clips of my day and throw it up on my account and people will really enjoy seeing like, oh, this is what it's like to be an NFL reporter or an NBA reporter where you go, this is where we go in at, you know, you can't show everything obviously, but this is where like the locker room is. This is the press me. And it kind of shows them like what you do for the eight or nine hours that you're there. And they really enjoy that. So I, I, I I'm very conscious of making sure I take the picture. Um, I keep the credential. Cause you just never know mm-hmm. when it's the end. Like I'm not in this thinking, okay, this is my, I hope it's for the rest of my career. But if it's not, I don't want to look back and say I didn't have fun or I didn't enjoy it. I was too busy. Like, being too professional to like actually realize we get paid to cover men in, you know, tights and uniforms <laughs> running around or whatever, or in shorts doing a job. Women as well, you know, where they're doing a job that is a kid's game at the end of the day. Like there's a lot more to it, obviously money and contracts and things like that. But for me, man, this is it. Like, and, and you can do it for a lot longer than actually playing as well. Like I don't have to worry about any sprained ankles. So I'll, I'll
0: take that. And you know what? Even if your career just falls about tomorrow, they can never take away the fact that you witnessed Bobby Baker score an 89 in the all around for the Illinois gymnastics team <laughs> against the Air Force. No one can take that away from you, James.
1: Oh man, you're taking me back. First beat ever in life. And honestly, I tell students this all the time because I get this DM so often. They're like, how do I get an NFL job? How do I get an NBA job? And I was like, do you want to cover them in the gymnastics? And they're like, no. And I'm like, go cover Mr. gymnastics, <laughs> you know, because it's not like you start at the top and you can't skip steps. Um, I believe I'm a firm believer that literally every single story I've written, every step that I've taken has led me here. Like, would I change anything about it? No, because I think that it all had to happen the way it did. And I'm glad it did, man, because this is this is like living life. And then also like being able to travel, I wouldn't be able to be able to afford to see the country on my own. Yep. Parents did a great job. Didn't grow up poor at all, but we still were not the family that took family vacations everywhere. So to say that I've been to L.A., Toronto, you know, San Antonio, and different places like that, it's it's cool. And I, I make sure to Facetime my parents or my sister, and I don't know, get them a you know a T-shirt from here or my mom's into mugs, so I'll get her a mug from I got her a mug from uh, the CN Tower in Toronto. I was like, hey, you got a mug from out of the country? Here you go. Things like that to kind of just keep it all in perspective.
0: You're the king of mugs. You can't yeah, take that away from either. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. Love your writing. Keep it up. Keep bringing it. And uh, I suspect this year the course will be better than last year. Not that it really matters, but there you go.
1: They scarred me from last season, so I've learned a lot. But again, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to see what you got coming as well, and you keep up the great work as well.
0: I want to thank today's guest, James Boyd, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow James on Twitter, at Kid. And read his work in the Athletic. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders, Sling and Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. It'd be very much appreciated. Music is by the outstanding MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.